0: look two weeks ago at the first church mentioned in that section of scripture the church in Ephesus and today we will continue uh, with a shorter portion of scripture looking at the church in a place called Smyrna so if you're able I'm going to ask you one final time to stand with me and we are going to read together verses 8 through 11 from the Word of God Revelation chapter 2 verses 8 through 11, and I believe the screens are working now, so hopefully we'll have these slides up here for you to follow along if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures with you. So the Bible says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death father again we ask your blessing on your word may you increase as I decrease and we'll give you praise for everything that happens here today in the name of Jesus we pray amen thank you you may be seated in a place called Izmir Turkey today approximately five million people reside in this city Uh, in John's day it was known as Smyrna and about a hundred thousand people resided there. So we can see over the centuries that this city has grown exponentially. Uh, It's not a place that has been excavated. I showed you a lot of slides last week of the excavations and the archaeology that has been done in Ephesus. Smyrna is a modern city and so much of that stuff is still buried beneath uh, what we see today, and so when we think about Smyrna, uh, it's a name that derives its meaning from the word myrrh, if we think about it Christmas time, we, we talked about the wise men that bring the different gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, it was a perfume, if you will, that had to be crushed, and it would let out this pleasant aroma, but it was not something that was good to taste, and so the name myrrh literally means bitter. And when we think about what's going on in this city, especially as John writes to them, we could certainly say that uh, in a lot of ways they were facing a very bitter trial. They were going through some very, very hard times. The interesting thing about Smyrna is that they were obviously under roman control as was all of that region but they were considered a free city if you will and so while they answered to rome there was no roman presence there so they kind of let smyrna operate uh you know without the watchful eye being right over them and because of that smyrna had a a deep devotion to rome even though their presence wasn't there they were very dedicated to rome it was one of the first places that set up emperor worship Uh, And they were very faithful to the Roman people. And so you can only imagine how that would bide for Christians who were already under the watchful eye of Rome and also were not liked by the Jews. So they had it coming at them as believers from both sides. And so what's interesting about church history, which I enjoy history in general, is obviously we know that John is the recipient of of this revelation, these visions that he is receiving. And John, at this point, is probably around 90 years old. Uh, He would live to be around 100, and so John is up in years. He has been uh, beaten and boiled in oil and all different kinds of things. Now he's exiled to this island, which we talked about two weeks ago, uh, on the Isle of Patmos. And yet here he is still faithfully serving and preaching the gospel to anyone that would listen to him. And John would tend to these churches, Ephesus in particular, Uh, the stories and traditions say that they would carry him in in his later years because he could hardly walk and just seat him in front of the congregation and allow him to speak to them and share the testimony. Imagine what it must have been like to hear from a man that walked and talked and touched the Lord Jesus face to face. Imagine if we could have someone come in and share a testimony firsthand like that. What a joy it must have been for those Christians But John had a man that he was discipling, that he was mentoring, if you will. This man's name was Polycarp. Polycarp is what we call one of the early church fathers. And so John is pouring into him. He's investing in him. And eventually John would send Polycarp to become the bishop or the overseer of the church in Smyrna. And so the stories go that Polycarp was faithful to the church and faithful to his calling. But at the same time, Smyrna was faithful to Rome. And the emperor at that time was a guy named Domitian. Domitian was another one of these Romans who felt himself to be godlike and demanded worship. And so in these times, by this time, one of the things that was required of you was that when the Roman soldiers would come by, they would have a small jar and they would ask you to take a little pinch of incense and throw it into the jar and say, Kaiser Curios," which is Caesar is Lord. Rome didn't care what gods you worshipped. They didn't care if you worshipped Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't care if you worshipped Roman gods, Greek gods, Egyptian gods, as long as Caesar was number one, as long as he was first. That's ultimately what led to the Romans to want to see Jesus crucified was because he was a threat to the peace that came under Caesar. And so the Jews hated him. Rome was glad to get rid of him. And this carries on into the church age. And so Polycarp is this faithful disciple He's preaching in this difficult place called Smyrna, and eventually he is arrested because he refuses to swear ultimate allegiance to Caesar. And so they take him away to Rome and, as was custom, bring him into the Colosseum where they would play games with these Christians, allow them to be eaten by lions, burned to death at the stake, uh, be part of the sport with the gladiators, all different types of ways that the Romans would entertain themselves at the expense of a Christian's life. And they brought Polycarp to the stake to be burned. And they gave him an opportunity to renounce his faith. They said, if you will deny Jesus and swear allegiance to Caesar, you can go free. And this was the response of Polycarp when offered his freedom, if he would simply compromise. He says, for 86 years, I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king? who saved me and he was killed for his faith polycarp was an example of the faithfulness of the christians in smyrna and so i want us to think today as ephesus we called the loveless church because they had left their first love i want us to look at smyrna today as an example of not just a persecuted church but a faithful church a church that remained faithful in the face of severe persecution I also want us to think about this because from time to time I try to get us outside of our American-only mindset and our American culture with which we view everything and understand that, guys, we are so blessed. But we are not the norm. We often think that the rest of the world is like us or should be like us. We are blessed beyond measure. The majority of the world does not know anything close to what we know as far as peace and comfort and so when we think about our brothers and sisters that are worshiping today throughout the world most do not have the luxuries that we have we've had a small inconvenience because the screen didn't work and so it kind of throws things off because you're trying to remember your words and everything like that there's churches today that are just thankful to have one bible to be able to share amongst the congregation that's meeting in a dark basement and hiding from persecution. We're so blessed. We are so blessed. And in this place in particular, as I said, this is modern-day Turkey, Izmir, Turkey. Turkey is a place today that is one of the most unchurched nations in all of the world. So think about this, just to wrap your mind around this. In Turkey, there are 84 million people Of those 84 million people, 8,000 identify as Protestant. That's 0.2%. Not even quite that. That's how small of a number of believers gather in this majority Muslim nation and risk death, persecution, and all sorts of other things to worship. God always has a remnant, church. He always has a remnant. Even in the darkest of days, in the worst of places, God always has a people set apart for Himself. I believe that here in America we are seeing Christians become more and more the minority. Bible-believing Christians, I should say, the minority. Let me make a distinction there. Folks that really believe this book to be the Word of God. Folks that really believe Jesus to be the Son of God. And all the essential doctrines that the Word teaches We have replaced those things, many churches have replaced those things with feel-good, man-centered theology where sin is not mentioned and hell is not talked about and judgment is not preached and repentance is not called for. And I'm thankful that God still has a remnant, whether it be here or other churches, that still faithfully believe and preach the whole counsel of God. And so we look at this church today, and I pray that I've asked you each week to say if, if God were to write us a letter, and tie it in with one of these churches, which letter would we receive? And I pray that perhaps it might be the letter that he sent to Smyrna, the faithful church. I want you to see a few things today that I hope will encourage you and perhaps convict you if need be about this church. He opens with this this salutation, if you will, to the angel, the messenger of the church at Smyrna. Write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life immediately with that introduction something ought to rise up inside of you as a believer something ought to encourage you when you read those words i think back to the opening chapter of revelation chapter 1 verse 8 where jesus said i am the alpha and the omega the first and last letters of the greek alphabet i am the first and the last he's saying who is And who was and who is to come. The Almighty. We see that in this opening benediction, the Lord Jesus is declaring who He is. The word revelation is an unveiling. And we are getting an unveiling view of the glorified, majestic Christ. We are getting to see Him face to face. In Revelation 1, Verses 17 through 18, John says this, When I saw him, when I saw this Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Hades. Jesus, my friends, is not just one God among many. He is the God. He is the Almighty. He is the name above all names. He is the living God that we serve today. I love that old hymn. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. What a joy it is to serve a risen Savior that lives within our hearts that knows our cares and concerns, that has left precious promises to the saints so that we can trust Him through whatever we face. Some of you today are facing your own individual tribulations. God knows. God hears. God sees. And God will answer according to His plan and purpose in your life. He promises this to the church in Smyrna. He tells them that He is the first and the last. That means that He's eternal. He had no beginning and He has no end. Nothing catches God by surprise. He's timeless. He's outside of time. He stepped into creation at the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He suffered. He died. He rose again. But make no mistake, Jesus didn't come into existence at the incarnation. He has always been. He just took on flesh so that He could lay down His life for you and me. That's the glorious truth. Of the gospel. Of the person of Jesus. Fully God and fully man. And one human being. Not only is he eternal. It says that he was dead. And he is alive. And I wish with everything that is in me. That believers would start living as though they believed that. I wish that we would walk around today. With a little bit more confidence. And a little bit more boldness. Not in ourselves but in knowing that if Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and if Jesus Christ could overcome the grave, then there is not anything that we are going to face that He can't handle. There's not anything that is going to come against us that is ultimately going to defeat us. We may suffer these trials. We may suffer unto death. But we will never die, church. He told Mary and Martha when they stood weeping at the grave of Lazarus, that they were worried and they said, we know we'll see our brother again. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We will all die physically. But friends, in Christ, we have an eternal promise to rule and reign with him in glory. That ought to encourage and strengthen you every day when you face these various trials Knowing that this is all temporary. It ought to cause us to live with a loose grip on anything of this world. Nothing that we have here is going with us. But everything that we've laid up over there will never be lost. What good news that is for us. And then I want you to notice, not only after he introduces himself, he tells them, in verse 9, that I know your tribulation... That word literally means to be pressed down upon. He you ever said, man, I just feel like there's a constant weight on my back. That's kind of the idea. This, this weight is trying to crush you. It seems like life just keeps giving you more and more bad luck, bad news, and it's just pushing down on you, and you think, Lord, how much more of this stuff do I have to try to carry? You don't have to carry it. The Lord said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am weak and lowly of heart. Jesus promises that he will bear up your trials. He says, I know your tribulation. Notice that he doesn't say, I will remove your tribulation. Notice that he doesn't say, I will make sure that you have no tribulation. He says, I know your tribulation. Can I tell you something that will fly in the face of what is preached in most churches today in America? And that is this. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. If you truly follow Jesus, it is going to cost you something. The gift of salvation is absolutely free. Jesus has done everything necessary for you and me to be saved. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. He did the work that was necessary. All you have to do is repent, from, turn from your sins, and trust Him. But following that Jesus will cost you something. And that's why so many people try to straddle the fence. They try to walk with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And my friends, that won't work. A man cannot serve two masters. Can two walk together except they be agreed. You are going to have to decide if Jesus Christ is the object of your affection or are you just playing games with this thing. You're going to have to answer that question at some point. You cannot continue to live for the world and for Jesus. 1 John says, whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You've got to make a choice, and it will cost you something. And so many churches today have tried to make the world and people that come into the church feel good and stay and want to be a part of the church. Can I say this? Unbelievers aren't a part of the church. Let me just put that out there. Unbelievers are welcome to come to the church. I love to see folks that don't know Jesus come to the church. But to be a part of the church requires that you be born again. The church on earth will be the church in heaven. And the church is made up of God's redeemed. So while lost people are welcome to come to church, we encourage that. We want to see that happen. At the end of the day, you've got to understand that only the redeemed are part of that heavenly kingdom. You will not go to glory without being born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so many churches today have watered down the gospel and made it palatable to people so that they never have to be confronted by their sin. They never have to be confronted with the idea that the way that they're living their life is in opposition to what God wants from them. That God has something better. That God can take a life and transform it. And so they try to bring God down to their level. They try to make a God of their own invention. It's no different than what Israel did in the wilderness as Moses was on the mountain. And they set up a golden calf to worship. People still make idols today to worship and claim that it is God that they're following when the God is themselves. The God is themselves. Jesus says to these suffering faithful saints, I know your tribulation. And he also says to them, I know your poverty. That means destitute of anything. That's not just being poor. That is having nothing. Jesus says, I know that this has cost you something. I know that everything you have, perhaps, has been taken away. These folks counted the cost. And they were willing to go all the way with Jesus. Because he tells them, I know that from a objective, you're poor. You are destitute. But then he follows it up by saying that you are rich. This is so hard, I think, for us as Americans to even grasp. None of us probably have ever been destitute we have maybe went through some tough times we have maybe had to eat bologna sandwiches and beans and rice from time to time but i don't think any would face even currently or what this church was facing this was a emptiness but jesus says to them that you are rich remember if they wouldn't swear allegiance to caesar if they wouldn't say kaiser Curios, caesar is lord and throw the pinch of incense they were marked For death, perhaps, but certainly for persecution. In those times, there were what was known as guilds. The Romans had guilds, and so if you worked in any sort of a trade, you belonged to the guild where you would give another portion of your salary. And if you swore allegiance to Caesar, you were given a certificate so that you could apply in these guilds. But guess what? If you didn't, no certificate, no work, no job. Or if you got a job, it would have been something menial, And the worst of the worst. These folks were being persecuted. And they were facing tribulation. And Jesus said, I know what you're going through. I believe to some degree we have all felt a little bit of persecution maybe in our lives. When you became a believer, I don't know about how it was in your family. But maybe some people looked at you differently. Maybe you were disowned by family members. Maybe you had friends that no longer speak to you because you became a believer, because your life is different. And the danger in that is when you see folks starting to leave and you see things starting to get tough, it's easy to be tempted to compromise so you won't lose people and things. Jesus doesn't give us that option. He doesn't give us that option, church. You are either going to compromise or you're going to take up your cross and follow Him. We've got to make a choice. And these folks said, we are going All in. Can you imagine the mocking that they faced from the Jews and the Romans? On both sides, the pressure that they're feeling from everywhere around them. How hard would it be to endure, to remain faithful? And Jesus is in the midst of them encouraging them. I know your tribulation. I suffered and you'll suffer. But you'll also rule with me. I've overcome. I I was dead and I'm alive. Hang on a little longer. Hang on to me. Trust me. Follow me. And I will lead you through this. I will bring you through this. One of my favorite quotes from a guy named Francis Chan in a book that he wrote called Crazy Love was this. He says, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Those are very powerful words to think about. Another guy, and I know some of the ladies have used her material. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was the widow of missionary Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott went to Ecuador, I believe it was, about, oh, it's been 70 years or so now since he went. They've made several movies. One was called The End of the Spear about Jim Elliott when they arrived. He and his three friends arrived on this island. They were killed by the, by the local, the tribe that was there. Jim Elliott kept a journal. Many people wondered why he would leave the comfort and luxury of America to go to a place where there were no believers and where he could and did lose his life for the faith that he was trying to proclaim to these people. And he said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Read that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that today. Jesus knows their poverty. He says, I understand your tribulation, and your poverty, and the slander. The King James uses the word blasphemy there, which is literally what is going on. It's a speech that injures someone's name. Many of us have perhaps experienced slander at some point in our lives. He says that is what is happening to these Christians. They're being slandered. They're being blasphemed. Oftentimes Christians were accused of cannibalism when they take the Lord's Supper. They were accused of being traitors to Rome and all sorts of things that were not ultimately true. But they were persecuted because of these things. People are going to say nasty, untrue, hurtful things about us. They're going to. And people are going to believe that. Unfortunately, we know that there are Christians are professing Christians, supposed Christians that have done terrible things in the name of religion. And because of that, the world thinks that all of us are that way. Many people will have nothing to do with church, especially if you have Baptist on the sign, because they have this preconceived idea of what we are and who we are and how we do things. And that's unfortunate. It's difficult. And there is pressure at times to To compromise and to say, well, maybe we should do things a little different so that we're not talked about that way or we're not mistreated that way. But we have to remain faithful to who we are and to who we are belonging to. To whom it is that we follow. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, Rejoice! And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can expect this, church, and we can only expect that it will grow worse. As the world becomes more wicked, if we want to shine a light in the dark places, men will not like that. The Bible declares that darkness hates the light. And any time you shine your light, it will cause people to get upset. It's going to irritate their demons from time to time. Amen? And we've all felt that. We've all experienced that. But that doesn't mean that we should tuck tail and run. It doesn't mean that we should just sit back and not say anything. It hurts my heart to hear Christians say, I don't like to discuss religion with people. Well, you have must never read the Great Commission that says go and make disciples. You must have missed the part where Jesus said go and preach the gospel. That's not just for the pastor in the pulpit. That's for all believers. I know it's uncomfortable to go out and share Jesus In a worldly setting. In here it's not so bad. You're among friends. But out there. When you're in opposition to the world. It can be difficult. But that's no excuse for us to not. Shine our light. We can't hide that. Under a bushel basket. We've got to take it out into the world. And make a difference. Now more than ever. We have got to do that. Jesus told us in verse 8. That he was eternal. And that He has overcome death. He reminded us. He reminded Smyrna about who he is. And I think he's also reminding them and us that ultimately our home is not here. All of the things that they were facing were difficult, but all of the things that they were facing are temporary. And every trial that you face in this life will end. It will not endure forever, but eternity will never end. Where are you going to spend it? Where are you laying up your treasures, here or there? There are two lives to live, the now and the forever. And I hope you're investing more in that life than you are in this life. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy life. I love my life. I love my family. I love my church. I don't necessarily go home every day and say, Lord, I hope I die tonight so that I can go home to be with you. But I'm ready to go. There's a part of me that longs to be free from this body of flesh and the ugliness of the world and the sin that still dwells within me and the death and the pain and the sickness. It weighs on all of us because we were created for more than this life. We were created to be in continual communion with God and even the best of us fall short at putting Jesus first in our life all the time. And we walk around with the guilt and the shame of falling short. And that's why we need grace. And that's why God offers grace. And that's why we need one another. That's why church is so important. Because we all need encouragement. We all need accountability. We all need to have our arms held up from time to time when we're too weary to do it on our own. That's what a church will do. We need a church to send the people out into the world to preach the gospel. We need a church to make disciples so that we can encourage and edify one another in the Word of God. Church is essential, my friends. It's important for all of us to be a part of the body of Christ. Smyrna made it through these difficult times because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their community that they had with one another. That's the only way that we will endure tribulation is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to understand that this is temporary and that's eternal, and to know that this body of believers among you is essential for your walk with the Lord and your walk of faith. I think that Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 bring out that point very well. I want to read those verses to you this morning. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking... To who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus said, because of this great cloud of witnesses... That surrounds us. We should lay aside every weight, every burden, every hindrance, if you will. And sin, which clings so closely to us. This is speaking to believers. Sin is still a struggle in the life of a believer. We come in here oftentimes and we try to pretend that we don't have struggles. That we don't have sins. If that was the case, I wouldn't need to give an invitation. If everything was perfect and everything was fine... There'd be no need to give an invitation. The invitation is to come to Christ, to come in repentance, to come and be refreshed. Those are opportunities because we all need that. We all need to repent of sin. Yes, us in this room, we have sinned. Believe it or not, a lot of times people don't like to visit a church or they say they don't want to come to church because, again, they say the walls would fall in if I came to church as though they're walking into a place where everybody in here is pure and white and clean of their own power and they somehow are dirty and sinful and they would just not fit in with us. The only thing that makes us different is we've been set apart by faith. That Jesus Christ has washed us clean by His blood. That we are made righteous because of His work, not ours. But because of what He's done, we can know without a shadow of a doubt That we are forgiven. That we are made perfect in His perfect work. It's not us. We know us all too well. We know that we fall short. And He does too. And so in those times, maybe today, if you've come in here and you've got sin in your life, you've got struggles in your life, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to hide and just get out of here and say, made it through another sermon and nobody found out what I did last night. The Lord already knows. No one in this room is going to sit in judgment of you. And if they do, then they're going to have to answer to God for their wrong heart. You are here today because God wants to minister through the word of God and the Holy Spirit to you. We can't worry about, oh, I wish so-and-so was here today. They missed a good message. That was for them. No, you're here. It was for you. I don't worry about who's not here. I mean, I worry about them if they're okay. But I can't worry about who I wish I could preach to. I'm going to preach to who I can. And you're here today, and if you're here today, then God has something for you to hear. And I pray that if you need to respond, that you will. Because God offers you that gracious invitation to come, to have your sins forgiven, to have hope restored, to have peace restored, to have joy restored, to have assurance restored. All those things are part and parcel with walking with Christ. They come through knowing Him and trusting Him. And obeying him. And these saints in Smyrna were doing that. In the midst of all of this. They were walking faithfully. Jesus says, I know all these things. There are Jews that are persecuting you. They, they claim to be part of my kingdom. But they're actually the synagogue of Satan. You talk about pretty strong language. He tells them these believers that they're not part of the kingdom. He says, don't fear about what you're going to suffer. The, the, Satan was going to throw some of them into jail. They were going to continue to face more tough times. Again, the prosperity gospel says if you just come to Jesus he's going to give you health he's going to give you wealth he's going to fix all your problems and every day is going to be a Friday and that's not how this works God may bless there's nothing wrong with being blessed financially there's nothing wrong with having things as long as things don't have you there's a difference you shouldn't feel guilty if you've got money and you shouldn't feel boastful if you're poor though so that's a badge of honor neither of that works that way God gives and takes away it's up to him It's out of His good pleasure that He gives. There's nothing wrong with having things. But the message of the gospel is not come to Jesus and you'll get more stuff. The message of the gospel is to know the Creator. To know the One who formed you and who leads you and guides you. That's the message of the gospel. To come to Christ and be forgiven and have a relationship. To be reconciled to God by faith. He tells them in verse 10 that you are about to suffer. You're about to suffer. But he tells them another thing in the midst of that, and something that we need to hear today because there's so much fear in the world today, and there's so much fear even in the body of Christ today. And he says, do not fear. Do not fear. Now, if we're honest, we look at the world today, and all of us, I think, from time to time get a little bit fearful, if not necessarily for us, for our kids and our grandkids. We don't like to see the world going the direction it is for our family. And if the Lord tarries, we understand that we may have to live through some of this mess. And I don't enjoy that. I don't like the thought of that. Especially when a lot of it is brought on by poor decisions and evil consequences of men that are supposed to do the right things and are not. But nonetheless, we cannot sit and wallow in despair. We are called to have hope. We are called to take a message of joy into the world, of good news, not bad news, good news, into the world and share it with people. He says, you're going to suffer, but do not fear. David understood this. The psalmist would say things like that many times. Listen to what he says in Psalm 56. David says this, when I am afraid, do you see that? That means he was afraid at times. There's times in his life, this was David the warrior. Oftentimes, pictures of David are painted as this clean-cut, beautiful guy that just walked around and, you know, was just almost more feminine than male. David was a warrior, my friends. David killed thousands in battle. This was, not a, man, this was a manly man. And he said, when I am afraid, what does he do? I put my trust in you. There's going to be times when you are afraid. And when you are, you're going to have to cling to Him even tighter. You're going to have to trust Him. You're not going to know what tomorrow holds, but He does. You're not going to know the outcome, but He does. And my friends, when your whole life is shaking and things are uncertain, hold on to the solid rock that is Christ. Hold on to Him. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today is all we know. Trust Him with your tomorrow. Trust Jesus. David said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. He says, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. He says, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What an example. What an answer. He says, I will be afraid, but I'm going to trust God. And he said, I'm going to praise Him, and I won't be afraid, because ultimately, what can flesh do to me? In other words, the worst thing that can possibly happen... This side of glory is that we lose our life. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All somebody does if they take our life is usher us into eternity and into the presence of Christ. It's almost we should thank them for that. For that. Because fear is an emotion. We've talked about that many times. It's a powerful emotion. It's a response to something. Fear responds to a circumstance. Sometimes they're real. Sometimes they're imagined. But it's a response to something. I love what Elizabeth Elliot, I quoted Jim Elliot earlier. Elizabeth Elliot said this. Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. Aren't you glad today that everything doesn't depend on us? That we don't have to have it all figured out? That we don't have to have all the answers? That we're not in control but someone greater than us is? The perfect Son of God is in control. Nothing is going to happen. A sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without him knowing it. Aren't you glad that that's the God that we serve and that we know? I pray that you know that God today. I pray that you know Him. Because there is a peace that passes all understanding when you're in the midst of a storm to know that Jesus is in the boat with you. It makes a difference. He still calms storms, my friend. He may let you go through it for a while. But he'll go through it with you. He'll be in the fiery furnace with you when you're going through it. We'll wrap up with this word from the church at Smyrna. He says, be faithful. Literally, be believing. Be faithful even unto death. They were staring death right in the face and yet remained faithful. I want to say this. The last two years have been the most difficult two years for me and many other pastors that we have ever went through in ministry. It has been a time that we have never faced with all of the different sicknesses and disgruntled people and wars and rumors of wars. It's been a challenge every week to try to know what to do and how to do it and to do it well. And during that time, something that's made it very difficult is to see how many people have fallen away. Not just fallen away from church, but fallen away from the faith. There is a popular movement today called deconversion. People label themselves ex-evangelicals. You see it almost weekly where some well-known Christian speaker or pastor or worship leader comes out and says, I no longer believe. I no longer believe that any of this is true. It seems to be the hip thing that we see happening. And in the midst of all of this, church, we have to remain faithful. We have got to remain faithful. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to those that will stand before Him one day, that have kept the faith and run their race and finished the course, He doesn't say, well done, my good and faithful pastor, my good and faithful Sunday school teacher, well done, my good and faithful servant. In these last days, we need servants. We need people that are willing to take up the servant's towel and wash people's feet, if that's what it takes. We need people that are willing to humble themselves and commit to the body of Christ. He promises a reward for faithfulness. In the midst of death, he says, you will receive a crown of life, the Stephanus, the victor's crown. Death cannot rob the believer. Of the victory that is ours. You will face death. Either through persecution, natural causes, sickness. But all of us have an appointment with death. My question today is are you ready? It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. When you stand before God, will you hear, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or will you hear, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. It will be one of those two. You can answer that today if you're not sure by trusting Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, thankful that you would love us, that you would send your Son for us. And Lord, we're thankful that in this world we will have tribulation, but you promised that we should be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. Lord, I'm thankful today that as believers you've sealed us with the Holy Spirit. You've left your word to encourage us you've given us the church to walk with us to be your hands and feet and so here today lord i pray that caruso would be found faithful that we as your people would be found doing the work of god every day that we would not major on the minors that we would focus on things that are eternal and not hold so tightly to things of the world lord i pray that we would start to to make excuses for worldly activities and invest more of our time and our life into the church Father, help us today to be a city on a hill, a light in the community of Hamilton so that we can make a difference with the good news of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, the altar is open. I would be glad to pray with you. If you need Jesus today...